enough by now to know that uh, one of my favorite things to do is to laugh, and lots of funny things usually happen around me and us, uh, so I need to apologize to Charles during lunch. Uh, I didn't plan to beat on the podium this morning, but I think my beating on the podium might have messed the microphone up, so uh, I told him I was going to preach from the floor this afternoon. Uh, Charles and, and Keith and Brian were taking a look at it, but uh, we've had a little connection maybe underneath the podium that was bad, and it wasn't until after I started pounding on it that it messed up this morning, so uh, we'll try standing down here maybe this afternoon and see how, how that goes. Uh, some of you heard me say, but I also told the kids, let me get the clicker. I told the kids as they were leaving uh, on the bus that they made the comment, they said, oh, don't have a 15-minute introduction this afternoon, uh-huh, and I said, well, I'm only going to preach five minutes since y'all are gone, so Faith has a timer on back there, and she's threatened several times to buzz me when it gets to five minutes, and I better stick to my, my word. Uh, the other thing is, of course, that um, uh, if you know Gabe, I think it's, is it Gabriel Isaac, I think it's his name, his middle name is Isaac. And he reminded me very forcefully that Isaac is misspelled in the bulletin, uh, and that's my fault. So that is not Faith's fault. I won't throw her, her under the bus. But if you have your bulletin and you've been looking at the outline this afternoon, uh, we got Isaac, I got Isaac misspelled somehow. Uh, and so he was already, he was uh, mad about that. But uh, he said, yeah, you got Isaac wrong too. So uh, we are going to look at the allegory of Ishmael and Isaac this afternoon. And if you've opened up to Galatians chapter 4, um, this may be interesting to you, it may not be of the most interesting thing ever, but like I mentioned this morning, it's just a chance to dig a little deeper and think about what is taking place here in Galatians chapter 4. Um, I have also been properly questioned that is, if it was going to take 400 years to get to the intertestamental lesson that I keep promising you, since that's been about 400 years, and I said, yes, we will get there eventually. Uh, today was kind of an accident in the, in the way that I was kind of thinking about some lessons, and I thought about uh, this particular lesson this morning about Christ formed in you, and I was reading through this allegory, and it's very interesting. I thought, well, of course, we could just make it kind of a whole day and tie the lessons together, and so I kind of decided to do that, and that pushed that other lesson back a little bit. Uh, but as I mentioned, if you have your Bible open there, and your Bible has spaces, all right, I, I mention this sometimes because translations are different, Bibles are printed differently, and neither one are, none of it's good, bad, or indifferent necessarily, it's just the way that they are printed. Sometimes it's for space, I'm sure, to save money, or, how, you know, sometimes it's done that way on purpose. But in my Bible, and it's just the brand of New King James Version that I have here, I think the side's worn off, I can't even tell who, who printed it anymore, uh, where it came from, the printer, but... Um, if I look over at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, there's no space because the, the translators or the printers of this Bible are of the belief that there really shouldn't be a gap there. That at some point as man went in and put in chapter breaks that they put, you know, with now I say, which seems like a good break in thought as the beginning of chapter 4, but really it connects. And if you were with us this morning, that's what we did. We said this idea of being baptized, being redeemed, being sons and, and heirs, all this goes together with what he's going to continue to say in chapter 4. Now, in my Bible, I do have a break beginning in verse number 21. There is this space, and mine has a heading that says two covenants. And that's fine. But like we mentioned, these actually connect. And what we want to do is pick up where we left off this morning. We said that Paul's encouragement for these Christians was to have Christ 
formed in them. That's going to help them to not revert back to this bondage, is to have Christ formed in them, to have Christ be such an inseparable part of who they are, that, that they, they are inseparable. You know, we talk about that sometimes with the marriage union, that a husband and wife, when they're that close together, they're inseparable. That, that's kind of the idea, that they are separate. They are two bodies, they are two minds, but they're connected. Well, we do have a life in the sense that we may go to work, and that may not be, as I'm typing in a spreadsheet and printing out reports, that may not necessarily be connected to Christ. But in the same way, we are inseparable in most of the ways in which I live and even interact and work. Christ should be shown, should be seen. So what Paul is going to do is he is going to show them that they need to learn the Scriptures well in order to have Christ formed in them. Why do we say he says they need to learn the Scriptures? Well, because what he's going to do is use the Scriptures here. These agitators, these Judaizers who are trying to pull them back down into the bondage of the law of Moses, they're telling them you have to go back to the law of Moses for salvation. Christ, wonderful, you need to be circumcised. Christ, wonderful, but you need to offer sacrifices. All of these different things. And Paul tells them that they should know the law even better because the law itself says that it cannot save. The law itself explains this to them, and he's going to use an illustration from the life of Abraham to say the law is showing us, showing you that it cannot save. So this is what some people call the allegory of Ishmael and Isaac. Some people call it the allegory of two women. And interestingly, interestingly enough, in this passage, if you look in verse 24, you may see the word allegory, and this is the only place that this word is used uh, and it's in the King James, I believe. The New King James that I have in front of me says which things are symbolic. This is the only place the term allegory is used. And if you are familiar with that, if you can hearken all the way back to English class or lit class, then you may recall that an allegory is an extended metaphor. It's a metaphor in which we can think about how these things compare to one another. Two things compared from which a lesson can be drawn and the meaning may not be obvious at first. The most common metaphor that we think of is Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody remember reading that, harkening back to some of these school things that we might have learned? Pilgrim's Progress, in which this character by the name of Christian meets someone by the name of Faithful and someone by the name of Hopeful. And through the Pilgrim's Progress, they come across this giant whose name is Despair. And so we have these lessons that are connected. Well, Paul's going to say this is, these things are allegorized. This is like an allegory for us to study and to know here. And so it's going to make the comparison, as he's already been doing in chapter 4, with the new and the old. He's going to do that beginning in verse 21. Now look at verse 21. He says, Tell me, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? So what he's saying is, do you not see its purpose? Do you not hear its commands and its admonitions and its instructions of servitude? Listen closely and understand your own law, this law that you're talking about. Really pay attention to it and understand your own law and prophets and these temporary declarations of these things from God. 
So if you have your bulletin in front of you, you've noticed that there's a, blo- a big space there. And rather than have a whole bunch of blanks, I just decided to tell Faith that what we're going to call it is it's a comparison of twos or of two, the, the numeral two, two things. And I'm just going to try to give you a lot of space where you can fill in these. We're going to go down through these verses and look at these things together and notice the different comparisons. There's, there's two sides. I, I didn't get a chart put into the, the PowerPoint, but I was going to put a chart in for us to see how these things compare. But you'll begin to see them as we read through these. So beginning in verse 22, before we put some up there. Uh, first of all, for it is written that Abraham had two sons the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. So let's stop right there and say, first of all, that in this comparison of two, there are two sons. And the two sons are Ishmael and Isaac. Now, if you can think all the way back, and I know we've done the Sunday school catch-up kind of lessons, but we've not been able to go too deep into some of the, each individual story. In Genesis chapter 16, though, is where Ishmael is the son of Abraham, and he's going to come along before Isaac. And in Genesis chapter 16, the, the, the promise of an heir, I don't, I don't want to misspeak here or say this wrong, the promise of an heir had been made to Abraham. All right, he knew that, that he would have his seed and that there would be an heir. But Isaac is not named by name or these details aren't given. So in Genesis 16, if you remember, what happens is, is that Hagar gives, or excuse me, that Sarah gives her handmaiden, her servant, Hagar, to Abraham. And so Ishmael is born between Abraham and Hagar. And Ishmael is the child of human planning. He is the child of human will, and he is the child of human action. God said, you will have your seed, you will have the heir of promise, and Sarah knows she's barren. She says, well, it's not going to be me, I'm barren, so here is Hagar, and I will take action, and it's my will, and it's my plan that you would have a child by Hagar, and through that union comes Ishmael. This was not Abraham, this was Abraham not acting in faith, in, by faith in God, but he's acting by faith in himself. Same thing Sarah's doing. You know what? I've got a better idea. I know God has made this promise, but I'm barren, so here's what we'll do. I'll come up with the plan. And so Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham in order to help God out, you know? He must not have it figured out. He must have been mistaken. I'll take it upon myself as a human. And she helped God out with his promise to bear a son to Abraham as an heir. But as we know, in Genesis chapter 18, that this son of promise is discussed. Do you remember there that that's where Abraham and Sarah are mentioned as being advanced in age? Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 12 is where Sarah laughs within herself. When this son of promise is discussed. But of course in chapter 21. Along comes Isaac. We mentioned that that Ishmael was the son of human planning. Human will and human action. So in this comparison what is Isaac? Isaac is the son. The child of God's planning. God's will. And God's action. We see all throughout scripture. How people determined that they were going to help God. Know what to do. And to, to fulfill his promises. He didn't need help. He didn't need Sarah's help. He didn't need Hagar. But along comes Ishmael. And then, of course, through God's plan and God's will, along comes Isaac. 
the Isaac was, this was Abraham acting by faith in God. Ishmael was not. He was not doing that. Isaac is. He's acting by faith in, or Abraham is. He's acting by faith in God. And along comes this second son. So we see here they're not named by name in the beginning of this particular section of, of Galatians 4. But for it is written that Abraham had two sons. All right, the second comparison. There, of course, then are two mothers. We've already referenced them, but there are two mothers. In verse number 22, it says, The one by a bond woman, the other by a free woman. Uh, there's no deep discussion here or reason to sort of go on and on about it. Hagar is the bond woman. She is the slave woman, and Sarah is the wife. She is the free woman. Now, this is where we're going to start to keep, we're going to keep carrying this out. Paul's going to keep carrying it out. And we're going to keep seeing it come from here. But one by a bondwoman, Ishmael, one by a free woman, and that is Sarah. We have two sons. We have two mothers. We also have two births. Of course, naturally, two births. They're two different sons, two different people. But notice what verse 23 says. But he who was of the bond woman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. You see the picture coming through clearer and clearer. Human will, God's will. Human planning, God's planning. Bond and free, flesh and promise. Ishmael was the child of the flesh, and Isaac was the child of the promise. The great promise made, of course, by God there. To sons, to mothers, to births. But as my Bible says, it also calls it two covenants. Two covenants. Continuing down in verse number 24. Again, he concludes that thought by saying which things are symbolic or allegor allegorical here. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. Verse 25, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Let's go ahead and just grab 26. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Now, before we go on a little further, let me remind you that what I said this morning is really catching on now in the sense that if you have ever read Galatians 4... Or someone sits down and opens up to Galatians 4, they're really going to be scratching their head probably about what this is talking about. Why is Paul talking about Mount Sinai? Why is he talking about Jerusalem? Why are all these things just sort of, you know, why are they here? So we had to dig a little deeper this morning into understanding the book of Galatians to know what Paul is talking about. But we begin to see this problem between the Moses-Christ hybrid faith they were trying to have. We made mention on Wednesday night, and I'll remind you again, we've started a great study of the church. Uh, we know the ladies will be leaving us soon to, to begin their new class, and that, that's fine. But, you know, we've started a great study for a few weeks now talking about the church and how a person should be able to, they can, I believe, open up their Bible and start reading and understand God's will. But the challenge sometimes is we see this new old, and you've got to really take into context what's going on and understand before you, it just really clicks. If you open up your Bible and you start reading Galatians 4, 21 through 31, you're probably going to be scratching your head a little bit trying to understand the two covenants. But Paul makes the comparison here as we have tried to make a clearer picture. 
Hagar, Ishmael, the son of the flesh, is under the covenants, the old covenant, the covenant of law. In fact, he uses that phrase again there at the end of verse 24, bondage. That's what this is. They're getting the picture painted for them, but for us having already discussed bondage through Paul's writings here in Galatians 4, we see this theme of bondage. The old covenant was the covenant of law and it was the covenant of bondage. But the new covenant is the covenant of promise, that word that's been mentioned here, and it is the the covenant of freedom. And that's what he mentions in verse number 26. Jerusalem above is free. He's not talking about Jerusalem in the, inside the city walls. The physical Jerusalem is free or free from some type of tyrannical government. He's making the comparison to the new Jerusalem or the new Israel, the spiritual Israel, the, this new, the kingdom, and how that is a covenant of freedom. So I've already hit it here, but let's, let me go forward one more. There's also two locations, and this is what we've touched on, Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai and Jerusalem. Drawing this parallel, if we think about the law of Moses, where do we get the law of Moses? Or when do we get the law of Moses? At Mount Sinai. Hagar, Ishmael, Old Covenant, bondage, Mount Sinai. Sarah, free woman. Isaac, Jerusalem, and freedom. This is the kingdom of God that he's talking about here. And realizing that they are, that this is, you know, this is better Right? The Hebrew writer is going to talk about that. Paul in other places is going to talk about Jesus being better, these things being better. That is what he is, he is saying here. This is the picture he's painting. And, and really, in verse number 27, Paul hearkens back. You may have it italicized in your Bible, or the print may be offset because it's a quotation from Isaiah 54 in verse number 1. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear... Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. He's quoting Isaiah to reference Sarah. Sarah is barren. Sarah is the one who is desolate. But she is going to have more children than Hagar because of Isaac and that seed line and this being the son of promise. And so that was something that that is a connection here that Paul makes between Isaiah, what Isaiah says in Isaiah 54 and what uh, is taking place or did take place in Christ and with the new covenant here. So Paul takes all of this and he draws two conclusions at the end of this section, verses 28 through 31. Let's read them real quick and then we'll make the two conclusions. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So here's the two things that Paul points out at the end to kind of drive home his point and the conclusions here. Number one, Ishmael persecuted Isaac. And what's happening in Galatians chapter 4? The Judaizers are persecuting the Christians. The Jewish legalists were persecuting the followers of Christ. And he says, this is another comparison. Ishmael did it to Isaac. 
And these old covenant people are trying to do it to the new covenant people. They're trying to bring them down in bondage just as it was then. Verse 29 concludes, even so it is now. And he says in verse number 29, cast out the slave woman. The second part of this, cast out the slave woman and her son because they have no part of the inheritance. And they have no part because they are of the flesh. You see, if, if you're like me, this sounds a little harsh. It's not quite, it, it doesn't make us feel warm inside to think that he would cast out the bondwoman and her son. But they are, they are of the flesh. They have no part in the inheritance. And if you turn over, if you can, real quick to Genesis, Genesis chapter 21. This is another one of those places that in the Bible that I'm using, there's no difference. It's just on the same page. But if you turn to Genesis 21, at the very beginning of, of Genesis 21, Isaac is born. And in and Genesis chapter 22 is Isaac, Abraham taking Isaac to be sacrificed. You remember that great story, the wonderful story of him. Well, it's awful to begin with, but of course ends well as Abraham confirms his faith by going so far as to essentially raise the knife to take the son of promise his life. And God stops him and Isaac continues to live there. Tucked away between 21, 1 through 7 and 22, my Bible has a heading that says, Hagar and Ishmael depart. What happens here is in that in verse number 10, Sarah says to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight or distressing in Abraham's sight because of his son Ishmael. But, there's that powerful word, verse 12, but God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. So going back to Galatians 4, I have again, it's not offset in the type, but it's italicized in verse number 30 because it is a quotation directly from Genesis 21 where God says, cast out the bond, or Sarah says it, cast out the bondwoman, bondwoman, and God says, yes, that's okay. Not because she's the wife and just because she's right or whatever, but because this is the plan. Hagar, Ishmael of the flesh, of the old covenant, all of that, and Isaac is the son of promise and the son of freedom. So the possible lesson here, the lesson for us, and we kind of drew two conclusions there, but the lesson for us is this, cast out the handmaiden. Now, depending on the version that you're looking at, it may say something different, but the bondwoman or the handmaiden, but cast out the handmaiden. The lesson is, is it possible to have a Moses Christ hybrid faith? And I don't know, <laughs> I feel Paul saying, I don't know how many times I got to say it, but the answer is no. <laughs> I've said it a bunch of different ways in epistles, specifically here in the book of Galatians, but it is not possible. Stop trying to be drawn back into bondage. Stop trying to live both ways. And of course, it concludes so well at the end of verse number 31 there, for we are children of 
the free. Put away the law of Moses. Put away the law of Moses as a way to try to attempt justification. You can't do it. We have trouble sometimes following one or two rules, right? Much less 600 or over 600 laws. You cannot be justified by trying to keep the old law, trying to be in bondage, trying to be a part of the slave or the bondwoman. Cast out the handmaiden. Cast out the bondwoman. The law of Moses, as we said this morning, it had a purpose. It had a purpose. It was preparatory. It served its purpose. It prepared the way for Christ to come and then it passed away. As we usually say, Christ nailed it to the cross and the old law is done away with. These Christians, for these Christians in the book of Galatians, in this period of time and the period in which Paul is writing, the message is reject the law as means of justification. Reject the law. We are not children of, of the bondwoman, but we are children of the free. Choose the gospel. Choose freedom. And again, as I said this morning to conclude, we, we're not, we don't necessarily have a Moses problem. However, can I suggest to you, I was thinking about this this afternoon at my desk. I was studying, going over my notes for just a moment this afternoon. I was thinking, I said this morning that we don't necessarily have a Moses problem, but we do have a bondage problem. But we do have a Moses problem sometimes, some people, in the sense that we attempt to be justified by works. That's the problem. The problem with the old law is I can do enough, I can accomplish these things, I can check all the boxes, and I can be justified by my works. And some people today still have that problem. It may not be the feast days necessarily, it may not be, again, the circumcision or all those things, but it's I can do enough to be justified by my works. I can do enough to earn my way. And Paul's message is clear. Choose the gospel. Choose freedom. Choose the spirit. Choose grace. And leave behind the law, the flesh, and the bondage. Paul has used many different ways to tell them not to revert to the law of Moses, that salvation is in Christ. And this is another way in which he does that. So, you know, when I think of the book of Galatians, I commonly think of Galatians 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit, the work of the flesh. We think about other passages. Do you remember Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20? If you don't know it off the top of your head, you know it because we sing it. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You know that song that we sing? There's a lot of good stuff in the book of Galatians when it comes to important messages and things that we can learn. But there's a great one in chapter 4 when it comes to understanding bondage and freedom. When it comes uh, to understanding the slave and the free and the salvation that is in Christ. It may not be that you exactly have an Old Testament law problem, but it may be that there's something that we can take as we think about enjoying the freedom that is found in Christ. And so once again, as we conclude a lesson here, we extend heaven's invitation because that is where freedom is found. It's found in Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in Ephesians 1-3, that all spiritual blessings are found in Christ. This is one of the great ones. The freedom that comes from knowing that your sins are washed away and that you have that freedom that only Christ can bring. If you're here this afternoon and you need to obey the simple plan of salvation, we sing to encourage you. Or maybe you've done that, but you've been drawn back into bondage in some way. It may be a, a sinful way, ways of the flesh that you need to give up, turn back to Christ. We're thankful for an opportunity to do that. 
We're thankful once again that God doesn't say it's one time and you mess up and you're done. But by the law, by the, the law of Christ and the grace of Christ, we can confess our sins and ask for forgiveness and come back to him. And we're thankful to have a family to encourage us to do that, even now as we stand together and as we sing.